Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Today's guest on The Business of You is Jennifer Bleem, and she leads her biography by saying she's a wife and mother to three boys, which I love that she shares that first. But she is most well-known and on this show because she is a mentor to several MSPs looking to dominate their marketplace and build the company of their dreams. Jennifer is a sales and marketing coach, and she has grown several multi-million dollar companies and divisions in under two years. She's also been featured in countless trade publications and podcasts and has been a guest speaker and trainer on stages all around the globe. Jennifer has coached over 2,000 MSPs to date on effective sales and marketing strategies, and she's extremely high energy and very, very knowledgeable. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode of The Business of You, especially if you're looking to create a sales process and scale your business. Jennifer, welcome to The Business of You. How are you today? I am doing so well. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's great to have you here. So would love to hear your startup story. You've been in business for a long time. Um, You've had another company before the current one. But if you could share a little bit about the early part of your life and how you got to where you are today, that would be great. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I one of my first jobs was a sales job, straight commission, um, not even an employee, like literally I bought my own leads, I had to buy my leads from the company. And I was selling health insurance and found out I was pretty good at sales um, and and following rules and following existing processes and systems. And so that was one of my very first jobs. It was the best way to dip your toe in sales, which is straight commission. Uh, thankfully, I was living with my parents at the time. I was young and they weren't going to kick me out on the street. And I did very well. I ended up becoming a trainer at the organization while I was still selling as this 20 two-year-old. And I I didn't even realize at the time how odd that was that there was this young whippersnapper in the front of the room teaching these 50, 60, some of them were 70-year-old, very experienced salespeople how to sell, how to smile and dial, how to follow the systems. So um, now that I look back, it's just, it's it's amazing. And that was really my my first foray into sales. And then I um, stepped away from that for a while because that type of a sales environment is not conducive to starting a family and um, raising children and things like that. And then probably about 15, 20, maybe a little more than 20 years ago, I got back into sales in the technology world um, and have not looked back. I love I love selling. I love all things related to sales and marketing. 
So was that after college, your first role that you described? Okay. It was. Yeah, that was my first, I would call it my first real job after college. I did have, I did have a job right after college. And this is like such a study in, um, like bad, bad HR, like what not to do as an HR manager, but then I will own that I did not do my job as a possible employee. I interviewed for this position and I talked about, yeah, I've got a degree in business communications and um, I, I want a job like in media. And they told me that I was applying for a job as traffic manager, which in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm going to be on the air and I'm going to have a microphone and I'm going to be talking about traffic, which isn't glamorous, but at least like I'm on camera. And that is not at all what the job was. And I had not researched the company. I just saw traffic manager. And as a know-it-all 20-year-old, I'm like, well, everyone knows what that is. No, a traffic manager for a radio station involves going to the deep, dark recesses of the closet and pulling out all of the pieces of content that were going to be aired on tomorrow's show. And of all things, this radio station aired infomercials 24 hours a day. And so I would go to the dark closet and be like, okay, at 2 a.m. I need, you know, tape number seven, or I think it was like a big reel or something. And so that was what a traffic manager was, was going to the closet, pulling out the right inventory, and then putting it on the desk for the, the real people to actually put it on the air. I just shuttled things back and forth. It was not at all glamorous. That's funny. Um, it got you to read the fine print a little bit better for the next yes. job opportunity. Yeah. And I think that's so many things in life. Like you look back and go, well, that's kind of dumb, but you learn, right? Like yeah. I, didn't, it's, I didn't know <laughs> at the time, nobody like, Nobody told me to read, you know, do research on the company. And there really wasn't even an internet. Like, I don't even know how I would have done research on this W whatever. I don't even remember what the call right. letters were. So to me, it was, of course, it's going to be a, a TV station. And of course, I'm going to have a camera and a microphone. And nope, not at all. Not <laughs> at all what I was expecting. <laughs> well, I really believe you learned something from every opportunity, right? So I agree. Hopefully you picked up some skills there that helped you later yeah. in life. So what led you to founding your first company? What made you think I could do it? So my husband and I actually started our first company together and mm -hmm. it came it came really from necessity. He was a uh, network technician. He was really great at troubleshooting computer problems and IT issues. And he worked for various uh, larger companies. And as he was getting older, the companies were really good at letting go of the older employees and hiring younger people to take his place. And after that had happened, I, I don't know, five times in 10 years, he finally said, you know what? I think probably I'm really good at what I do. Why don't I just do this myself? And so we started a company helping with helping small businesses and helping individuals with their IT challenges and setting up computers and um, getting their printers working. Get it. Then as, as things evolved, backing up digital camera, you know, photos and things like that. And so I founded my first company with him and he actually still runs that company. It continues to run to this day. I'm just not involved with it because I'm plenty busy doing my own thing. <laughs> That's great. So did you do sales and marketing? Was that your role in that 
It was. Yeah, it started out being more um, anything he didn't want to do from, you know, the administrative side or the finance side. And then as we were looking to grow and scale, I said, well, you know, you have a wife who has a background in sales and marketing. I bet I could help. And so um, I did. I was able to help him for for a number of years and just continue to help his company grow from really um, startup, single man um, operator to to a sizable organization. That's amazing. Um, how was it working with your husband? <laughs> um, you know what? It There were good days and there were bad days. Mm-hmm. Our marriage is so much stronger today because we're not working together. Uh, some couples have it figured out and they, they can work very, very well as husband and wife. I don't know how they did it. it it's not, it's not that it, we had a bad working relationship, but our marriage is similar to a lot. Like we are like yin and yang where, where he is super strong. He supplements my weaknesses and where he is weaker. I've got those strengths, which works really well in a family. We never quite figured out how to make that work well in a business. I like to go a million miles an hour. Um, and we, we may run headlong into a, a brick wall, but by golly, we're going to do it by tomorrow. Um, and he is very methodical and we will get to that brick wall. It may be in a decade or two, but let's just figure it all out first. And I never figured out how to make those two things mesh. So um, when I got an opportunity to to pursue a marketing career elsewhere, I'm like you know, I think this is probably a good a good match. So so that's what you did. You left there and you worked for somebody else. Then I did for some time. Okay, yeah, I worked for someone else for a couple of years, helping them get a brand new division off the ground and um, a lot of selling of, of a very low dollar figure, like a hundred dollar a month product. Um, and we got it up to about a, a couple million dollar run rate inside of a year or two. And then I repeated that with another organization, helped them get up to about $4 million in, in about a year okay. or two, again, on a pretty low dollar, you know, $7 a month sale. So you, you got to make a whole lot of sales to get to um, get those $7 a month up to $4 million. Uh, We did that in a couple of years and then we got acquired. Um, and then that's that's when I exited and started my own business. So what year was that? That was 2022. 2021, I think is when, oh, really? when okay. we were acquired, 2020, okay. something like that. Yeah. Okay. So just so, a few years ago. Was it before um, the shutdown? It was shortly before the shutdown, probably okay. about six, six to 12 months before the shutdown. Okay. And then I started my business about two months before the shutdown. <laughs> okay. So early 2020. Yes. Yes. And you're focused in your business on sales and marketing, right? In particular, sales coaching, and you work with companies and individuals on improving their sales, correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah. And you focus on MSPs primarily? Yeah, I do. I, I I do have a couple of clients that are vendors that serve that managed service provider community. Right. Um, but the core of my business is working with managed service providers. And what are some of the common challenges that they face on the sales side of things? Yeah, so there, there's a few common challenges. The one that I hear that's uh, more of an emotional, um, an emotional thing is, listen, I've I've gotten to the point where I am, which is which is usually in like the one to three million dollar in annual revenue, but there is this haunting um, 
doubt in the back of their mind, like, can I scale this? Can I double this? Can I get, I don't think I have the systems in place to get to 5 million, 10 million, 20 million. And so it's this, it's not even an imposter syndrome. It is this, um, like I got here through a system. And sometimes that system is just a lot of hard work and right place at the right time or leaning on relationships and referrals. And there's nothing wrong with that. But many of my clients have woken up and said, you know, what got me here is not going to get me there. So that's one of the common challenges. And then the the undercurrent below that is, is less, less emotional, but it's still the awareness. Like I don't have a system and a process for marketing. Like I have a system and process for rolling out Active Directory or for, you know, onboarding a new client. I have a system and process for um, hiring and firing, uh, but I don't have a sales and marketing process. And so that's that is the core of the issue when my clients come to me. And when you hear that part about not having a process, do you have a particular methodology that you've yeah. developed that you, okay. I, I do. Um, so, so I've got a, I've got a sales process blueprint that I give to all of my clients and that's what I teach to. Um, it's a combination of everything that, that I've learned over the years, um, including Sandler selling and mm-hmm. I've probably read 250 sales books. And so pulling out all of the nuggets and, and putting it into languaging that actually works to sell intangible services. That's, you know, that's what I'm really, really good at. And then that's a piece of my roadmap. So I have a, an MSP growth roadmap that it's a nine step system that every one of my clients walks through to, to get from point A to point B. And point A is usually I've had a level of success, but it's not organized. It's not documented. I don't know how to measure it. And point B is I now have a machine. I have a marketing machine. I have a sales machine, which then the owner can either offload to someone else mm-hmm. or continue to do sales and marketing if they love it. But it's mm-hmm. usually, I want to get this off my plate because I'm not, yeah. I don't enjoy it. Do you th- believe that the owner is the one who really has to get the sales and marketing engine going? I think the owner is the one that needs to get the sales engine going to about the one to $2 million mark. Um, beyond that, many of my clients decide to hire sales. It is very difficult for the owner to keep the sales engine running and the marketing engine and all of the things involved in being a CEO. So I encourage my clients as quickly as they can to bring on a virtual assistant or or several virtual assistants to do some of the administrative work. I don't think it is practical for an owner to run sales and marketing and CEO and be the visionary and decide if we're going to acquire this year. Um, that's that is a recipe for disaster. But on the sales front, yes, I want the owner selling until they're about two million dollars in annual revenue. Yeah, I totally agree about an owner having too many too many plates, right, to keep in the air to sustain yes. that growth. What is your thought, though, on the owner having to be the person that really initiates the sales, the sales piece of it? Yeah, I mean, so so now we're almost talking about branding, right? Like, should that should that owner be the face of the company or not? And I I have a 
I have mixed feelings, but I will tell you my favorite clients are the ones where they're not, the owner's not afraid to get on, on camera. And that could be writing blog posts. It could be literally on camera and doing lives. It could be getting on podcasts. And I, you know, there's the the mantra, like, I feel like no, no webinar or training or podcast would be complete if someone didn't say the words no like, and trust, right? Like it's, it's this tried and true. It's almost trite. Um, but it's accurate. Like you, ha- you, we will never buy from someone that we don't know exists. So there has to be some knowledge like, oh, Rachel exists. Maybe I could do business with her. So there has to be knowledge. And we as humans, like even business to business sales is still human to human sales. It's still a person buying from a person. So I, I, you know, other than like Coca-Cola and like really big names, like I buy Coca-Cola, I don't know their face, but anything that's like a, a coaching relationship or a CPA relationship or a, um, like a, an attorney, I'm not buying from Smith, Smith and Jones. I'm buying from one of those three people. And so um, my favorite clients are the ones who are not afraid to let their face be the face of the company, literally. Um, I'm not dogmatic about it because my clients are typically a little introverted. Um, They're not necessarily comfortable behind camera or they're not comfortable with the sound of their voice. But I strongly encourage them to at least execute on um, things that will get their face out there for a few months to see if we can get past that that general discomfort just because it's something they've never done before. And in three months, they may decide they love it. So I encourage them to be the face of their company. I can't mandate it. Right. No, I th- I think what you share makes so much sense. And uh, in my world, people are always wondering, <clears throat> should my company even be my name, my personal name or a corporate name? But I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that it does. That actually doesn't matter. I mean, it does matter in terms of the long term strategy of how you want to grow your company and what you want to sure. do with it. But it doesn't matter because in the end, you're right. People are doing business with the person behind the brand. So, but I also have felt, and I'd love to know your thoughts on this, that especially in the early stages of a company, it's really the owner that has to, you know, the most passion and can speak with the most conviction about their product or service as well. um, And can be, that can be so helpful in selling it and landing clients too. Yes, it's definitely helpful. It makes it a little more challenging to scale. And so that's why you typically, when my clients are at that one or $2 million mark, then they start to say, okay, I, I don't love sales or, or sometimes it's, I'm great at sales, but I really want to be a CEO. Like I really want to lead my company. And the reality is, you know, every four hour block that you're spending pushing a sales opportunity through the pipeline is four hours that you can't spend being a CEO. And so um, I agree. I think the passion is there and you can teach passion. I don't mean you can fake it. I don't ever advocate faking it, but you can teach like, listen, I'm passionate. I'm an owner and I'm passionate about my solution. Let me help my salesperson see why I'm so passionate and at least get a piece of that because you can borrow someone else's passion. Um, And that can become part of your your demo reel or your, your pitch deck. It's like, okay, our founder is so passionate about this because that, and you right. can, you can still capture some of that. Sure. Sure. Or if the person's really passionate about the product or service too, and sees Correct. the results people are getting. So, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Yep. 
So if we may switch gears and talk a little bit about your company and how you're set up, can you talk about how you've grown it and scaled it? Because you've grown significantly in the few years you've been in business and also just how you weathered 2020 being so young as a company, right? But then hitting a point where maybe people were were um, cutting their budgets for external investments, let's say, in training. Yes. So um, lots of different questions rolled up into yeah. one. So I'll, I'll do my best to, to kind of give you my journey from, from there to where I am here. Uh, when I first started, um, I think uh, like many companies, I wasn't 100% sure of my messaging. Like I knew I had a ton of value to add to the marketplace, but how do I, how do I explain that value? And that took me a solid six months just to figure out my messaging and what is it that I'm delivering and the way I started was simply with one-on-one -on -one coaching and consulting. So I worked individually with, with my clients. Sometimes it was just the owner and myself. Sometimes it was four or five members of the executive team and myself. And I would work with them for anywhere from 90 days to a year, um, usually weekly meetings, sometimes monthly meetings, depending on the engagement. And I reached the point where I was, I was going to say I was maxed out. I was more than maxed out. Um, my my calendar was like, if a calendar could explode, my calendar would have exploded. And uh, four separate times, I raised my rates thinking that that would solve the problem. And I finally realized on the fourth time, wait a second, I keep raising my rates my close rate isn't changing. My calendar isn't changing. I think maybe the solution isn't raising my rates. Like, yeah, how many times do I have to try the same thing and get the same results before I went, oh, maybe that's not the right solution. So I am right now in the process of um, rolling several of my first cohorts through my group coaching. Um, and so what I did is I, I took about a quarter, um, like a, a, it was a little bit more than 12 weeks to go back through all of my coaching sessions and what did I do with them? How, what is the logical framework? Um, and that's how I came up with the ninth step roadmap that I just mentioned a few minutes ago. Um, and that is now what all my group coaching clients go through as well. Um, and it's the same thing I've been doing one-on-one. -on -one for years. It's just that now it's in a group setting. So it's been fun to be able to, to make that that shift from one to one to, to one to many. It's never going to be enormous. I don't want it to ever get beyond 100 clients uh, because I want to be able to touch their businesses individually. Sure. So what size are your groups? So typically there are about 10 people. I let 10 okay. people in every month. Um, and then we do have groups, you know, mastermind groups where it's the whole group and, and everybody. Hey, right now I've got about 40 people. Um, and so we do a Q&A every other week that everybody comes to. Um, but otherwise they're just in their, in their smaller cohort. That's great. And is part of your program uh, a pre-recorded course materials or is it all live? Yeah, so it's a combination. So some of the okay. things are pre-recorded, um, but because they're going through nine steps, um, essentially what we're doing is when they're on step three, um, they watch the pre-recorded information, they work through the pre-recorded work or the, the pre-provided -pre worksheets, PDFs, things of that nature. And then invariably they get stuck. Um, and it's it's not that I held anything back because that's not the way I work, but 
I've done this so many times that I forgot to tell them something they needed to know. Um, and so when they're on step three, we have a, a session every other week that is specifically designed for people who are on step three that simply can't get to step four either because they got distracted or because they're stuck. Like my they, my training did not answer the question they need or their business is a little unique, et cetera. So um, they're able, it's self-paced. So, um, you know, they're they're able to come in and when they get to step, step three, they show up to the step three session. I get to look at their homework and say, yep, you've got it. You understood. That looks great. Or I say, ah, did you shortcut a little bit on this particular worksheet? Because I, I don't think that's your best work, right? Like I get to be um, teacher, encourager. Um, and then when they're ready, they move to step four. And so they are gradually um, building their own marketing machine. Um, and I haven't had anybody other than my private clients uh, graduate yet. Um, and I call it graduation because that's that's my goal. Like I'm not creating... Um, I don't know, like a cult where people just have to be with Jennifer forever. I want them to spread their wings and fly. Like I'm that's I'm the mom, like them stepping out of the nest and being their own sales and marketing rock stars makes me thrilled. Like that's, yeah. that's my goal. Absolutely. And you also host an event. Right? I do. And so so in 2022, um, we hosted our very first in-person event um, right on the heels of when things were opening back up. So uh, we have an event every May or June, and it is focused on sales and marketing and helping these roughly $1 million MSPs grow and scale and you know what are the new tactics that are out there? Um, what are new things we should try? What's not working anymore? Um, what's not working as well as it used to? And so we do all things related to sales and marketing. Uh, so our event in 2023, it's in June, June 13th and 14th. It's in Orlando this year. Um, if any of your listeners want to come, they can go to my website, mspsalesrevolution.com slash ultimate, because it is the ultimate IT growth conference. And it's geared for managed service providers who um, are genuinely looking to grow and scale their company. That's great. Are the majority of your clients male or female? The, the majority are male. That's what I thought. And how has it been? How have you felt? Um, well, I guess kind of answering my own question, giving you how to raise your rates four times. But are are you finding men extremely open to learning about sales and marketing from a, a woman? That's really where what I was curious about. Yeah, it's interesting because I have people ask me that question and I don't know who is in the marketplace listening to me, but they never reach out and, and schedule a call with me because they're turned off. So right. I do know there's plenty of people in the industry that are not turned off by working with a woman. Um, my my clients, they love me. Um, of like course. They're, uh, they, they love the results. They love working with me. They love my energy. Um, but I'm sure that there are men out there that that aren't, a, a, you know, they aren't attracted to working with a, a woman and maybe it, it, you know, demeans their manhood. Like, I, I don't know. I can't right. pretend to imagine that. But, you know, it's like any marketing message. I mean, I, I can't change who I am. Of course. Um, but it's any marketing message is going to repel some people and it's going to attract others. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm I'm just, I just have to be okay with that. Like any business has to be okay with that. Like the, like, let's just talk like Mac and PC, like the Mac 
line of of marketing that they are marketing to the creatives and the Mm -hmm. uh, people who are willing to step out of the box. Well, they turned people off with that marketing. Like, I'm sure there were people going, no, I like being in the box. I'm going to buy my PC. That's okay. They repelled some people, but then naturally they attracted others. And so- Because I can't change who I am, and I don't, I don't show up on camera as anything other than me. Uh, like when I wrote my book, I had people say, "Man, Jennifer, it was just like you were in my ear." And I'm like, "That's <laughs> because the way I speak, and the way I show up on stage, and the way I am in a podcast, and the way I am in my blogs, and the way like it's just me. Like it would be right. exhausting to be anything other than me." So um, I've never had anybody tell me, "Look, I would have worked with you, except you were a woman." I but don't think I, anyone would say that. I'm sure yeah. there could be one or two of those people out there in which case great you go find another sales trainer I don't want to work with you anyway (laughs) exactly exactly have you ever spoken or met a potential client and after you looked at their business thought I don't think they can scale for whatever reason Yes, I've had a couple of those. Um, and, and it's it's heartbreaking because inside of my conversations with them, we get very um uh, we get very vulnerable. Like, what is it that you're building and why? And why are you on the phone with me today? You know, like why is why today and not six months ago or six months right. from now? And I've had a couple of companies that are are just in this place where they're stuck. Um, and, and they've been stuck for 10 or 15 years. And they've been through coach after coach after coach after program after like, and and they are they're just stuck. Um, and and as I look at their business, I can diagnose like why they're stuck, and it's it's usually because of the owner. The owner is not can't get out of his own way, um, isn't willing to get uncomfortable. Like as business owners, we have to do things we don't like. Uh, I mean maybe when I'm a hundred million dollars, like I'll just hire people to do things I don't like. Um, I don't know that like, I don't know if you picture like Donald Trump or something, he probably doesn't do anything that he doesn't like, but as small business owners, there are things we all have to do that, that are uncomfortable and that are outside of our norm. And so those are, those are the calls that are tough when, when I've got, it's generally men saying, you know, I've got to make this work. I've got, you know, a family to take care of. I've got children that are going to go to college and I'm just like, okay, but you've been in business for 15 years and you've never grown beyond the three clients you kind of accidentally got and you don't have a list and you're not willing to get on camera and can't help you. Like I don't have right. a magic wand and it's tough because I, I don't tell them you're never going to be a success. Go get a job. Sure. Um, but I'm just like, I, I'm not the right fit for you. Um, I, I can't really help. Right. Right. And is that CEO, is it because they're not willing to do certain things or is it more of, um, maybe challenges in terms of mindset that they're experiencing or is it that their service isn't really, truly in demand the service is usually in demand but they're there i think we all kind of want this holy grail where the phone just magically rings and the the website just magically brings clients to us and if that magic isn't working for whatever reason we don't want to go out and drum up the business we don't we don't have that internal drive sure everybody isn't set isn't like created to be a business person. Um, and, and so I, I have had a couple of clients that get to the end of the consulting and they're like, Hey, you know what? 
I think I'm going to sell my business. I don't want to own my business anymore. It's not fun. I'm not passionate about it. And I can't create passion. Like I can, I can't, I can't do that. Like I can remind you of where you lost it or why, you know, I might be able to help rekindle the passion, but everybody isn't designed to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and I think there are many business owners out there that like in their heart of hearts, they're like, yeah, but how do I close? How do I close and not define that as failure? And I would say that's not failure. Uh, I mean, like even if you close and you declare bankruptcy and you start a new business or you get a job or you find a, a passion project, like that's that's not a failure. I think it would be a failure if you got to the end of your life and said, I just spent 40 years doing something I was miserable with and bad at. But I don't think that's a failure to say this isn't, this isn't working. Let me close my doors and find something that might work better. Right, right. Yeah. And at least somebody tried, right? So they can shut that door with confidence yes. too, which is so important. I Agreed. Think. I agree. If you could take out a crystal ball and see over the next couple of years, what services are greatly in demand for in, in the space that you're working in, what would you say are some of the top two or three? So I think that one is going to be, this isn't so much a service, but I think someone is going to do some very cool things with artificial intelligence and um, somehow leveraging AI tools to create content or to maybe even integrating artificial intelligence with like chat bots. So, um, so I think there, there's something in that artificial intelligence uh, world that is going to be coming very, very soon. Um, you asked for two other services that are going to be largely in demand. I, I suspect, um, you know, we're, we're seeing, implications that there could be a coming recession and, and whether even if that doesn't happen, I think a lot of small business owners are going to naturally retract. Um, for your listeners, I would beg them to not do that, um, to fight that as hard as you can and to, to continue to spend on marketing and sales. But for the companies that have to downsize in order to stay afloat in order to continue to be profitable and pay their executive team and their their owner, um, they will be needing somebody who can handle IT support and cybersecurity, which bodes really well for my clients. So I think as there is a retraction, like I'm picturing a 50 or 100 person company that has a small IT team of two or three people, they could offload those two or three employees and then hire one of my clients and save yeah, 25, 30% probably off, off of their, their ops uh, line item. So I think that's going to be coming as well as just um, it, what are some creative ways that we can continue to support our IT infrastructure and cybersecurity needs without it being humans. So I think that's right. another opportunity that's coming down the pike. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How, Jennifer, do you plan to grow your business given your, you know, your personal brand right behind yes. a business brand. So over the next couple of years, how do you plan to, to scale your own company? So I've got a couple of ideas. Um, one is this nine step roadmap is really, it's, it's, specific to my niche right now. Um, but the back of my head is saying, how how niche specific is it really? Like one of the things is define your offer, define your target market, figure out your lead generation. 
my one idea that I have, and we're a couple of years away from that, is changing this nine-step roadmap from instead of it being niche-specific, having it be small business owner-specific and being more broad to just supporting anybody in the small business world. Um, so that is one one thing that is coming. We're probably two-ish years away from that. And then another thing that I want to do to grow and scale is to launch a mastermind. Um, so there's a lot of power when you get um, 10 people in a room and you're all signing non-disclosures and you're in a destination, you know, I don't know, Mexico, whatever, um, for, for two days. And you're like, okay, what's going well? What's going badly? And what's one big thing you want to execute on in the next year? And all 10 people are heavy hitters that are all there to share their one good thing that's working and their one thing they really need help with and their one big initiative for the year. And you get 10 smart people in the room and you're going to solve the problems like two days in the room with really smart people. So that's a three-year plan is to launch a mastermind where I have a mastermind once a year, probably eventually grow it to being four times a year and just having... 10 people in the room that are all there to solve each other's problems, but then to get their problems solved as well. That's great. And so you're following your own methodology, it sounds yes, like. Yes, I am. A little meta, right? Yes, yes, it is very <laughs> meta. I mean, it's it's interesting. I have to be super disciplined. Like when I uh, am consuming content, I have to say, okay, Jennifer, you're you're automatically want, you want to apply this to your clients. Like that's fine, but you're here to learn for you. Like learn for you first and execute for you. You know, like put the oxygen mask on yes. yourself first. Then you can teach it to your clients. The clients will never they're never really in second place. But you've got to take care of your own business first. So. Right. It is very meta, like I'm building out this system and process and optimizing it for myself at the same time as I'm doing it for my clients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I wish you great luck with that. Where you shared where we could learn about the event, but where's the best place for people to connect with you and learn more about you and, and hire you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, if you search for cybersecurity Sherpa, can also search for my name, Jennifer Bleem. Uh, I am on there, very active. So you can reach out to me there um, or just email me, jennifer at mspsalesrevolution.com. Perfect. Thank you so much. 100%. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to the Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.